Well, because it's Thanksgiving weekend and because this is where we are in, in the Bible, um, we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, this weekend is the weekend where we stop as, as Americans and we say thank you to the Lord for allowing us to live in this country and for blessing us the way that he has. What, what many of us know and many don't know is that us gathering together here on Sunday morning in many parts of the world could lead to arrest and it could lead to death because of what we do is, is illegal in many parts of the world. And so we, we stop on that one day and we say thank you to God for his incredible blessings in our life. And um, when, when we do that, I couldn't help but think about how in the Bible there's one phrase that is given over 2,000 times. And when, when I ask the congregation, I'll say, you know, what, what is the number one, what's the phrase that God gives over 2,000 times, the command that God gives over 2,000 times in the Bible? Sometimes people say, you know, love one another, and you go, okay, that's good, but that's like five or six times. Don't kill people, well, that's like two or three times. Um, you know, love God first, well, that's really only three or four times. But th- there's one phrase that God says over 2,000 times in the Bible, from cover to cover. And it's the phrase, praise the Lord. Now, when God says in the Bible to praise the Lord, God had intended to set up a relationship in such a way with his people that as they experienced him, they would very, very naturally respond with a praise back to God. And so as you read through the Bible, you'll find phrases like this there in your outline. It'll say, give thanks to the God of heaven. And it says, here's why, his love endures forever. Um, uh, another time in Psalms it will say, I will praise the name of God with a song and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. God had promised that, that as people interacted with him, as they got to know him, as they experienced his blessing, that they would want to praise him. They'd want to thank him for the great things that he had done. As we've traveled through Matthew, what we find is that by the time we get to the time where Jesus was on the earth, something had happened in their religious culture where it was very hard to praise God or to thank God for his greatness because being a follower of God had become through the years a great burden and it ceased to be a blessing. And so Jesus is going to confront that today because in that day, many people would walk away saying, I just can't do it. And many of us come from a church background where it was hard to praise God for his greatness because the truth be known, it was a real burden to try to follow him because it was attached to a number of rules and rituals and regulations that God never intended. So, so Jesus is going to confront that today. So no matter what church background we come from today, I want you to know there's something here to offend everyone. So, so sit back, relax, and leave the church after the service. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. So, so what was happening in that day, sadly, is, is happening in this day. We're going to look at a story. It's told in Matthew's gospel, and it's told in Mark's gospel. It's in chapter 15, crowds are coming to Jesus, And then it says, then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, now I want you to underline from Jerusalem, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And you want to underline that, that's going to be very important. For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. 
So the scribes and the Pharisees are going to be the professional law keepers. And they have heard of some things that are going on in Jesus' ministry. So they are going to come from Jerusalem to check out what's taking place. Now we talk about this and we we don't really have an understanding of the geography. So I want to put there on the screen a map to give some context. As we've been studying through, you have the northern part of Israel, and that's at the top of the map, and you have these towns of Capernaum, Bethsaida, and uh, Gennesaret. Jesus is mostly based out of the term, uh, the town of Capernaum, and that's there by the Sea of Galilee, and that's up at the, the, the north end. Then you have in the middle part, you have this area called Samaria. And of course that's inhabited by what you and I would know as the Samaritans, and they're right in the middle of Israel. So the Jewish people hated the Samaritans so much that they would go around Samaria as they would go down to the southern part of the country which had the town of Jerusalem. Does everybody see that? So these religious leaders have heard about Jesus' ministry. They're going to travel 80 to 90 miles north in order to confront Jesus and see what's, what's going on. Now it's important to know that that this is not like 80 or 90 miles today. You had to walk. So this is about a week's worth of travel in order to to come and find out. So they've traveled some some distance. And uh, so as as they go, now did did I read the first two verses by the way? I did, okay. And we underline Jerusalem and traditions of the elders. Okay, good. So, So what we're going to find is that these men are not concerned that people are getting healed. They are not concerned that lives are being changed, uh, but they are here in order to find a reason to accuse Jesus and his ministry. Now when Mark tells the story, again this is told in Matthew and Mark, Mark will elaborate a little bit more. So when Mark, Mark tells the story, he says it like this, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing, and I want you to underline the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things. When they come from the marketplace, they were concerned that they might have touched a Gentile, so they would want to wash themselves to, to cleanse themselves. So I, I want you to highlight in, in both stories, it talks about the traditions of the elders. And so we'll come back to that. What's important here is to understand that their washing their hands is not like we would wash our hands before dinner. They are washing their hands, not, go ahead, write this down. Their washing was for ceremony, not hygiene. So they're not washing their hands so that they're clean before they eat, like we would send our kids to wash their hands. This is something that they're doing for ceremony. And, and it comes from, in the Old Testament, in the law, God had told the priests that when they came to the temple, as they would begin to serve in the temple and, and do certain things, they needed to wash ceremonially. And again, it wasn't for hygiene, it was for, for ceremony. So there in your outline in Exodus, it would say, Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet and their feet from it when they enter the tent of meeting. That would be the tabernacle, later on the temple. And they shall wash with water when they approach the altar to minister. Now the, the problem with that is that was something that God gave specifically to the priest that the priests were to do when they went to minister at the temple. It was not something that God gave to the people. Nowhere does it say that the people have to wash their hands and, and, and do all of that. But what took place is that as they would look on, they, they would say, well, you know, if this is something that God wants the priest to do, 
we should probably start doing that ourselves. So they began to do this ceremonially and, and as they did this it became a tradition and people began to look to the tradition as opposed to God's word. And so um, what took place, and, and we're here in the Gospel of Matthew, but there's a part that we, we often miss. That there are different types of Judaism. So in the Old Testament God gave the law to Moses. And we've all seen the movie and you know the, the, the Ten Commandments and all that. That was termed Mosaic Judaism. Now in Mosaic Judaism what the people would do is they would go to the law, the first five books of the Bible, and they would say, what does the Bible say? And so that would be the test for everything that they did. But, and and that's, you, know, you, you saw that throughout the entire Old Testament. It was Mosaic Judaism. But over time, as you read the story, what took place is that God's people began to not keep Mosaic Judaism. And so as, as you read the Old Testament, you come to Jeremiah and Isaiah, God's people had drifted very far from what the Bible said. So God begins to speak through Jeremiah and Isaiah, and he says, because you've gone so far, I'm now going to have the king of Babylon come in, we know him as Nebuchadnezzar, and he's going to take you and you're going to be taken captives to Babylon. Now you're going to go to Babylon because of your great sin. You totally walked away from, from all that God had said. And so they go, and they go to Babylon, and uh, as they go there for 70 years, they're, they're carried there, uh, driven there we might say, but they, they go there for 70 years, and this becomes a real point of humiliation for the nation. So after 70 years, God had said, I'm going to bring you back into your land. So after 70 years, God's people come back into the land, and there's a priest, and his name is Ezra. Ezra is a real back-to-the-Bible guy. He says, you know, we, we really missed it. We, we went so far away. So Ezra would teach God's word to the people who would listen, everybody in Israel. And from him came a group of people that are known as the scribes. And we hear about those in the New Testament, the scribes. Well, from the scribes comes the Pharisees. And that goes into not Mosaic Judaism, but what we would call Pharisaical Judaism. Later on it would morph into what's called Talmudic Judaism and, and then you know, beyond, beyond there. But at this time in Jesus' life it's Pharisaical, uh, Pharisaic Judaism. Now here, here's what took place. Because as they came back into the land they looked at how they had gone away from God's law and, and so they said we're going we're to so keep God's law he's never going to be able to send us to Babylon or any other place again. We're, we're just going to really keep it. So as the Pharisees began to develop they came up with what they would call fences around the law. Now a fence would be God says this, we're going to go this far to make sure that we don't break this. So a couple of examples. We all know in the Old Testament and the law, God says, on the Sabbath day, you don't work. Well, we've all seen that, right? So they began to say, we need to put some fences around this to make sure that we don't work. So they came up with these fences to make sure that they never found themselves working. So one of the things that they would do is they'd say, now, we need to put a cloth over all the mirrors in the house. And here's the reason why. Because on the Sabbath, if you look in the mirror and you happen to notice that you have a gray hair or two, you might be tempted to pull that and that would be work. 
And they said another thing. Now on the Sabbath, if you wear false teeth, it would be good that you don't wear them on the Sabbath. Now here's why. Because if you wear them on the Sabbath and they fall out, you're going to be tempted to put them back in. And that would be work. Does that make sense? So what had happened was they created all of these fences, what they called fences, around the law that it drifted into absurdity. It, it completely missed the point of, of what had you know, originally been the intention of the law. Does that make sense so far? So when Jesus comes along and he says, do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I don't come to abolish, but I come to fulfill. He's talking about Mosaic Judaism, which went back to the first five books of the Bible. But he did come to abolish what ultimately became Pharisaical Judaism. Now, did that make sense or did I just put you to sleep? Three of you. Good. All right, we'll go with it. We'll go with it. So um, they got some things wrong as they went. So what did they get wrong? Well, verse 2, they come and they say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash hands when they eat bread. So this was a tradition that was extra biblical. It's not what the Bible said. It was beyond the Bible. So when they went beyond the Bible, here's what they did. And I want you to write this down. They, their tradition was elevated above God's word. When they washed their hands over time, it became a way of climbing the spiritual hierarchy. So some people would just wash their hands before they ate. If you read Mark's gospel, it says, then they would wash this, they'd wash that, they'd wash everything. And the more they washed, people would look on and say, you are so spiritual. I mean, you just wash all the time. In our society, we just call it obsessive compulsive. But in that society, it was considered being more spiritual. So they elevated this above God's word because it had nothing to do with God's word. Well, then it gets worse. And they did this in order to be seen by others. So you'd see somebody washing and say, oh, they are so spiritual. Sounds wacky to us. But it gets worse. And I want you to write this down. They began to judge someone's spiritual conditioning, or their spiritual condition, by their keeping of tradition. Now, that would be the extra biblical things that they had added to it, the fences that they had put around the word, uh, but not actually the word. Now, I know that sounds silly to us, but, but we do the same thing. And many of us come from a church background where, um, if, so if you were to come to the church that I grew up in in my early days, we, we had to sign a covenant saying that there were certain things that we would not do in order to be a member of this church. So uh, one of the things that we had to do is we, we, there could be no drinking, no wine or anything, no dancing, no smoking. Uh, at a time there was no playing cards and there was no going to movies. Now how many of you come from a, a church like that? Okay. So, so I, I can remember as a little boy, and we would preach on these things. You know, this, this is big stuff. And the preacher would be saying, what is going to happen? You are sitting there and you are in that movie theater and you are watching that movie and all of a sudden the trumpet of God sounds and you, it's the rapture, what are you going to do when God sees you at that point watching the movie? What's going to happen? You're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm going to miss the end of the movie. You know, It's going to be really bad. So, but, but we would preach on these things and these were big deals. They were very, very big deals. So now uh, what they would do is they would take a personal conviction and then they would turn that. It was a conviction for me, so I now put it on everybody else. And then it becomes the way that I judge everybody else. One of the big things, and I just choose this because it's kind of a big thing in the church world, 
But 150 years ago, some people, and although it had never been an issue throughout church history, 150 years ago, some looked on and saw that some abused alcohol. And because they saw that some abused, they said no one should ever use. Now, some of you know that you should never use because there's a real issue with it and you know who you are. But that became something that in many churches became a judgment of who was spiritual and walking with God and who was not, whether you did that or not. And you've heard me say, I know you've heard me say it many, many times, but I can always tell when I walk into a restaurant who goes to Calvary and what your church background is. So I walk into a restaurant, three guys are there at the bar, they see me, they have beers, and they go, Pastor Dan, like that. I already know. They come from a Catholic, Lutheran, Presbyterian, you know. And so, I know you're going, I want to be a Lutheran, I want to be a Catholic. So, so, and, and I know that, you know, and that's fine. You have freedom in that, great, you enjoy, you know, don't be a drunk, but you know, you have the freedom in that, but that's your background, it's not an issue. Those are great. But... Um, those aren't the most fun for me. The ones that are the most fun for me are those of you who come from the other church background because I walk into a restaurant and immediately you have that deer in the headlight look. You know, because you come from that and I'm the pastor and I've just walked in and there you are and you have a drink on your table and I walk in and immediately, I love what you do, you take that stand-up menu and you start to build a tent around your drink. <laughs> And you're like reaching around like this. And, and I don't care, you know, because I, I personally don't think that it's wrong. If you have the freedom to do that, that that's fine. But I, I do love doing this. I love running up to your table and going, ah, like that. <laughs> not, not because I care, but that look in your eyes. <laughs> so, so we have that. Now, the Bible says don't be a drunk. And Jesus' first you know, miracle was turning water into wine. So if you have freedom to do that, that's fine. But if you don't, then, then you know, don't use that as, as judging somebody else. In our story, the Pharisees are judging people by things that the Bible did not talk about, by extra biblical things. And so they come to Jesus and they ask in verse 2, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now they come to Jesus because he's the rabbi, so he's going to be responsible for what his disciples are doing. In Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel, Jesus will never answer their question about why they eat bread that way, because for him, that's a non-issue. The Bible doesn't talk about that. He won't even answer the question. But he does respond in verse 3. He says, and he answered and said to them, instead of uh, answering the question, he gives them a question, why do you yourselves, and I've underlined, transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Verse 4, underline, for God said, honor your, mother and, um, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. Underline that. But you say, verse 5, underline that, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. We'll talk about that. And by this you have invalidated, my translation says invalidated, whatever your Bible says. You've invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. And then Jesus says, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. And we will come back to that. So Jesus responds. Now God had given in the Old Testament in Exodus 20 the Ten Commandments. One of those was you honor your mother and father. And 
he concludes that by saying anybody who does not do that should be put to death. That's God's way of saying, I take this very seriously. You honor your mother and your father, your father and your mother. And so that would include taking care of your parents in their old age. And again, this is Middle Eastern culture, so that was their, their, uh, that was their system. Now, anybody who didn't do that was to be put to death. But they had come up with a tradition. And that tradition, not in Matthew's gospel, but in Mark's gospel, it's called Corbin. Now, that would be that you dedicate something to God. So I'm going to read from the International, Sti- International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, the short version of this, just to explain what's going on. They said if you dedicated that, you, you made it a gift to God or Corbin, you didn't have to take care of your parents. So the, the word Corbin, just, it, it's the most general term for a sacrifice of any kind. In the course of time, it became associated with an objectionable practice. Anything dedicated to the temple by pronouncing the votive word Corbin forthwith belonged to the temple, but only ideally. Actually, it might remain in the possession of him who made the vow. So a son might be justified in not supporting his old parents simply because he designated his property or a part of it as a gift to the temple, that is, Corbin. There was no necessity of fulfilling his vow, yet he, actually, he was actually prohibited from ever using his property for the support of his parents. So it became a way of getting out of taking care of your parents. And so this, would be, this became a tradition. So Jesus confronts them on that. You've, you've taken this tradition and you've placed it above God's word. And this is something that God took very serious. If you broke this, you should be put to death. That's how, how important he took it. So they would claim that their traditions came from the Bible. But one of the things that Jesus pointed out, and I want you to write this down, they broke God's command to keep their traditions. Jesus replied, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Now I had you in verse 4, in verse 4, most of your Bibles will begin by saying, for God said, and then Jesus quotes the verse, and then verse 5 he says, but you say, but you say. And we'll come back to that. So they broke God's word, and Jesus says when you did that, verse 6, he says, he is not to honor his father or mother, and by this you invalidated the word of God. And, and so you want to write this down, they invalidated God's word to keep their tradition. When Mark tells it, he says, they neglected the command of God, you hold to the tradition of men. Now they would claim that their tradition came from, from the scriptures, but we'll see that it really doesn't. So then he quotes from Isaiah, verse 7. He says, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me. Vain just means it's useless, it's dead. I don't, I don't even recognize it. Teaching, and I've underlined this last line, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Um, I love that Jesus, it says he, he uh, in verse 7, it says, you hypocrites. And uh, I don't know if I had you underline that, but you hypocrites. They're not used to being spoken to this way. This is the, the religious leadership. And so when Jesus says this, um, and then I have in my notes that uh, he's warming them up, building a bridge, and using his best people skills. So, um, <laughs> so, um, so go ahead and write this down. Here, here's something else they got wrong. They began teaching their doctrines, their tradition, as God's word. It was their tradition, but they said this is really what God is saying, teaching us doctrines, the precepts of men. 
And they thought if they did these things and they looked spiritual on the outside that that made them right with God. So Jesus says, rightly did Isaiah speak of you. He says, Isaiah said it hundreds of years ago, but he's speaking of, of you. And, and he says, you worship, your worship is in vain. It just means it's useless. God doesn't even recognize it. So that's what they got wrong. And, and I want to just, just very quickly point out, here's how Jesus responds. One of the things that we notice about Jesus is that uh, there on your outline, Jesus always, and let me say it like this, Jesus always, always, always points back to Scripture. Always, always, always. In verse 4, he says, for God said, honor your father and mother. And then, then he says, but verse 5, but you say. Jesus always points back to Scripture. When Jesus is tempted by Satan, Satan comes and he, he tempts him three times. Jesus says, it is written. It is written. He always points back to the Bible. For, for Jesus, there was no higher authority than, than Scripture. So, so uh, the next thing, uh, verse 7, uh, he calls them hypocrites. That's how he responds. Write that down. What I love about this is there is a crowd that's listening to him. And the religious leaders, again, are not used to being spoken to in this way. You and I live in a politically correct culture. I can't tell you how many times I say something that offends somebody's thing and, uh, and you're judged by uh, you know, whatever that person's issue is, not by what the, the Bible says. And what I appreciate about Jesus is he has no interest in being politically correct. And uh, so I, I like that about him. I'm learning. First, but uh, but at the, I, just, I just love that. He just says, I don't really care what you think. I do, but he didn't. So there we go. All right, verse 10. Now not only does he, does he I love verse 10. He says, now after Jesus, and I want you to underline, called the crowd to him. He said to them, hear and understand it is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles the man. So, so go ahead and write this down. Jesus here goes public with his denouncement. Now, it's important to understand that, that the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees, they're standing there. They come up, and Jesus realizes this is a big issue. So he calls the crowd to him. And so when you speak to the crowd, your voice has to go up. It is not what goes into a person that defiles it, but what comes out. And, and this is really going to bother them because they know, the crowd knows, why the scribes and Pharisees are there. And so this is going to be, well, let's just read verse, verse 12. And in verse 12, I put verse 12 there on your outline. It says, then his disciples came to him and said to him, now, you know, the, the Pharisees were, were offended when they, when they heard this saying. And Jesus is like, really? I had no idea they were offended by that? But I, what I love there is the word offended. I put it there in your outline, and it's the word scandalizo from where we get the word scandal. They were scandalized by this. They're infuriated. They're embarrassed. They, it, you know, it's just, it just really gets to them. They're, they're really not used to being spoken to like this. And, and so, but Jesus makes it public, and, and the reason that he makes it public is he realizes that if I don't make it public, you're still going to follow these guys. And, and in this case, 
uh, eating foods, that, and they would say what you eat is making you somehow unspiritual or spiritual. And so Jesus wants to go as public as he possibly can to say, that is not what I am about. That's not what the Bible teaches. Well, verses 13 and 14, he says, but he answered and said, every plant which, is my, heavenly, which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. And that's his way of saying, I didn't plant that. They did. That has nothing to do with me. And then he says in verse 14, and I want you to underline this, let them alone. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind, and if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. In verse 14 he says, let them alone. Um, and you want to you write this down. He says, the, the disciples tells the disciples, don't start an anti-Pharisee ministry. Just let them alone. In 30 years they're going to be gone, but don't spend your life trying to correct them. They're blind, they can't see, they're following their tradition, uh, they're following their fences, and don't spend your time trying to talk them out of it. Just keep on teaching the truth. So he says, let them alone, they are blind leaders of the blind. I didn't have space on your outline to put this verse in, and I could give a hundred verses, but a verse that we're all familiar with, Psalm 119, 105, it says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. They were no longer pointing people to God's word, they were pointing to their tradition, they were pointing to their fences, saying this is what it means to be spiritual, and Jesus says that just leads to a blindness. But it's his word that gives light. Which is why here at Calvary we focus in on the Word. That makes sense? Verse 15 says, but Peter said to him, now in Mark's gospel it says all the disciples, Peter's just the spokesperson. Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding also? Do, do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Now we laugh at that. We laugh at that. But I grew up in a church that said if you played cards, you would be defiled. And we pointed to all of these external things that the Bible speaks nothing about. So Jesus says here, he says, he says it's, it's not what goes in, but what comes out. Now, when Mark tells the story, he says it like this. He says, do you see that nothing that enters from the outside can make him unclean? Nothing can make him unclean. For it doesn't go into his stomach, uh, it, goes, it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. And then I've underlined, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Jesus declared all foods clean. Uh, I love that because when you, when you study the Bible, one of the things that you find, you have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospel of Mark is written by Mark. He's the one writing it down. But it's Peter who is telling him what to write. So Peter is the one who is dictating the Gospel of Mark. Mark is writing it down as, as, as the writer. And so here, many years later, as Peter is dictating this to Mark to write down, he adds, 
He says, now in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean, which is interesting because years later, after Jesus is crucified, buried, raised from the dead, sends into heaven, Holy Spirit comes down, church goes out, missionary journeys. In Acts chapter 10, God comes to Peter, who's already heard this, but he's not connected the dots. And he hears, he sees a sheet that comes down out of heaven. And if you know the story, the sheet is filled with all of these different types of meat. Do you know the story? And, and uh, God says, take and eat whatever you want. And Peter says, never. I've never eaten anything like that. And, and so there on your outline I put it, Peter says, never Lord, Peter declared. I've never in all my life eaten anything forbidden by our Jewish laws. Well this is years after the fact. And, and the voice spoke again, if God says something is acceptable, don't say it isn't. Later on, Peter would dictate the gospel that we know of Mark through Mark. Mark's writing it down. And you sort of get the, the, the sense that Peter's going, oh yeah, Jesus was saying back then that all foods are clean. I find that interesting. Do you find that interesting? Okay, there's three of us. Good. So we'll go with it. We'll go with it. So write this down as we wrap this up today. Um, religion always focuses in on outward appearance, the things that we do, uh, the, all of the deeds, the, the, the rituals, the rules. And yet what he teaches here is that spiritual maturity always focuses in on inward change. Verse 19, he will say, but out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulterers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and slanders. For these are the things which defile the man. But to eat what is unwashed does not defile the man. So the idea is that God calls us to focus in on the inward because that's what defiles. In our story today, some focused on tradition as a way of defining what it meant to be truly spiritual. Some focused on their rules or their fences, the extra things that they added to, and they judged other people. Here at Calvary, if you were to go to our missions page, it would say, our our mission statement page, it would include this line I put on your outline. Here at Calvary, we live, we love, and we share God's word every day. What that means is that we don't go uh, to the Bible with a teaching to then have that teaching come out of the Bible. You can make the Bible say anything you want it to say. We always go to the Bible to see what the Bible has to say to us as God's Word. When we first began the church, that was very uncomfortable because I knew that in their religious world, some of the things that Jesus said would be very offensive to to their traditions. And I know today that even as I say some of these things that come from the Bible, not me going into it, but it coming from, it can be somewhat offensive. And so I had to come to the place where I realized that my calling is to the people who love God's Word, want to see what the Bible has to say to us, and and want to share that. And that's what we do here at Calvary. And you're here today, so that helps too. So there's more than just three of us. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and... Did you find that interesting today? Good, good, good. Hey, let me share one more verse. This is our operating verse, my operating verse in my life as it, as it relates to you as a congregation, just who God's called me and our staff and our leadership to be. There in your outline it says, not that we lord it over your faith, but are workers with you 
for your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. As we travel through Matthew, what we find is that the religious leaders were notorious for lording it over the people with their traditions and their fences, their extra things that they added to it. God calls us, those of us who are in the pastoral ministry, to come alongside and to be, as it says, we don't lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy in your faith, for in your faith you're standing firm. And uh, hopefully you get that as, as you come here to Calvary. Let's go ahead and wrap up and uh, close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, our hearts before you are to be those who go to your word because that's what you pointed to and, and to see what it is that you would want to say to us. So as we go to your word, we set aside our preconceived notions, ideas, and ask that you, by your word and your spirit, speak to us. And as you do that, we pray, God, that you would grow us into the people of God that you want us to be and help us to walk in you and reflect you in truth. I pray, God, that you keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.